getting feedback on designs is sometimes, it can feel personal, you know, but it's not. <laughs> We're all working toward the same goal of delivering the best solution possible to the people who are using our products. So if we remember that and give and receive feedback with respect, I think we're all better for it. So, I mean, getting feedback and pushback and having that that candor between between teammates and your collaborators, I think is so important to, to push our products forward. What's up, everybody? I'm Guo, and you're listening to the Not Just Pixel Show. There's a lot to learn as a designer. So in this show, I sit down with design professionals to understand how to grow as a designer and help you get that UX design internship or job. Let's get into it. Today, I'm talking to Amy Franco. Amy is currently a product design manager at OpenTable, an online restaurant reservation service company. And if you've ever tried to reserve a restaurant, you've probably heard of this company before. She started out her career as an industrial designer, later transitioned into UX, and worked at companies such as CareMerge, CDW, and now at OpenTable. In her conversation, what really stood out to me was the vulnerability that Amy expressed in the end, when she talked about her past struggles of bringing her authentic self to work. And for early career designers, this is so important to remind ourselves of, to be an authentic human being and designer. We talked about working with engineers and PMs, design culture at OpenTable, her biggest design failures, and so much more. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Amy Franco. Amy, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. You started out in your career working in the industrial design um, field. You, I know you interned as an industrial design intern, and also you worked as an industrial designer. I was wondering, why did you transition into UX design? And what was that transition like coming from a different background? Yeah, for sure. I did go to school for industrial design. Um, and I worked in that field for about four years before transitioning into user experience. Um, and during that time, I designed you know, medical devices, water filtration products, and packaging. But the way I think about it, you know, industrial design is basically UX for physical products. And the design process is actually really similar between the two. So they're both like rooted in human-centered design. And I con- consistently did, you know, user research, developed design concepts, got feedback. I worked with similar stakeholders to the people I work with in UX. You know, I was constantly working with engineers and business stakeholders and launched products. So I actually found the transition into UX pretty natural for me. I would say the reason I decided to transition from ID to UX, there are a couple of reasons. One is probably because of the new and interesting problems to solve in the digital space. Um, And the other one was probably more of like a lifestyle decision. (laughs) Um, What part of the lifestyle was different? Yeah. um, When, so something that's important to me was uh, having the freedom to live wherever I wanted. And industrial design jobs historically have been like clustered in a few cities. And that felt a bit limiting to me. Um, I love to travel. I like to move around and have new experiences. And I thought that I would have more freedom to do that in UX versus ID. Right. Is it also, I guess, remote work is also, I guess, another option for 
maybe more digital design. Definitely. Everything is you can access on yeah. laptop and, and the phone. Definitely. I mean, it's. Yeah. I think there are so many people who are working remotely now, um, but I've been working remotely for over six years now. I think so. I I definitely have been working remotely for a long time, way before way before the pandemic. Hit yeah, you already prepared <laughs> for this scenario. <laughs> Yeah, love that. I think shifting gears a little bit, delving into more of your UX design career, I came across an article that you wrote, which was titled "Driving Alignment with Product and Engineering," and I really love to delve into this topic of working with a cross-functional team as a designer. So, I think just for context for the audience, um, what members are normally in a cross-functional team, and what are each of their roles? Yeah, so I think, you know, team structure and titles can differ based on the organization, but most product development teams consist of at least a product designer, a product manager, and an engineer or a tech lead. There's definitely overlap between the roles, but each role comes to the table with like a unique perspective. So I guess like from a product designer standpoint, they're always thinking about user needs and like customer desirability. A product manager would be thinking about the business needs, and I always call that like business viability. And then um, an engineer would come to the table with technical feasibility. And I think delving into more of the specifics,、um, how should a designer normally collaborate with an engineer on the team? Because I would imagine either of these roles have different skill sets that they have, and also how they think about a certain problem or or a task. And it would be great if you can provide any type of example. Yeah, maybe I'll back up a little bit, and I'll just I'll just say that like with these three functions, like the three core functions, like product designer, product manager, engineer, working together, the team can really make sure to take all of these perspectives into consideration when making product decisions, which I think is so important. But if we dive into like how to collaborate with an engineer specifically. I think design and engineering should be collaborating early and often throughout a development process. I think you know the best solutions kind of come to light when we can work together to understand the problem, brainstorm solutions, and give and receive feedback. An example would be like, when possible, trying to include engineers in your research processes. If they can't actually join the research sessions, then at least sharing the learnings can be extremely helpful. Um, they want to understand why they're building what they're building as much as we do, and understanding the why really ensures that you have both the same context in future conversations when hashing out solution options. Yeah, I think also I I was curious because it's it's like a triangle basically. It's like you have the designer, you have the engineer, and also you have the product manager. I think in this case, how would you communicate or collaborate with a product manager in this triad? Of team, yeah, I think like it's it's a hard question to answer. I think because a PM and designers work so closely together, and probably have like the biggest overlap when you think about responsibilities. the The collaboration is like constant; it's happening all the time.、Um, it happens so, like we have so much overlap that on our team, I don't know if you've ever heard of this before, but it's called a racy matrix. And it's something that we use to to better define roles and responsibilities on our team. 
Um, Bracy really stands for like responsible, accountable, consulted, and informed. And this is really helpful for us because on our teams, it's more nuanced than I'm responsible versus not responsible. <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot more nuance in there. But in general, you know, PMs and designers are collaborating from discovery phase all the way through to delivery. So that could mean collaborating on user research, setting product vision, uh, brainstorming solutions, doing QA before release. Really, there's just so much collaboration going on that I can't like pinpoint exactly how you should work together. Right. So the ideal state is PMs and designers are always collaborating. Basically, they're letting each other know what's going on during the process instead of, I guess, working in a silo in this case. Yeah, definitely. And I think like just the role in general of a product manager, if you think about like the racy matrix, they tend to be accountable for a lot of things, but there's shared responsibility, I think, um, and a lot of consulting with your design partner throughout throughout the product development cycle. And I think... At least this is something that I'm starting to experience as I are taking on other internships and also doing other projects is that when I'm in discussion with, let's say, the product manager or the engineers, there might be a situation where my designs are being pushed back or being, I guess, like, questioned like, oh, why are you doing this? You know, is this really worth our time? Those kinds of conversations. I was wondering, were there any times when you had those conversations and how did you respond to to these comments oh my gosh or these suggestions yeah of yeah. course I mean definitely <laughs> candor is where it's at <laughs> for sure and I think having conversations that push the team to grow and think differently is one of like the best parts of the job we actually have like a lot of different forums for it for feedback in that way so we have like product reviews where you can get feedback from product managers and designers on a high-level project and approach. We have design crits, um, where we get feedback from designers on concepts. We have design reviews, where we get feedback from product team on design concepts. We have async Slack feedback, but basically like getting feedback on designs is sometimes, it can feel personal, you know, but it's not. (laughs) We're all working toward the same goal of delivering the best solution possible to the people who are using our products. So if we remember that and give and receive feedback with respect, I think we're all better for it. So, I mean, getting feedback and pushback and having that that candor between, between teammates and your collaborators, I think is so important to, to push our products forward. I think shifting gears a little bit, I think you also touched upon this part during our past few minutes, but I wanted to delve into your life at Open Table. And just for context for the audience, Open Table is an online restaurant reservation service company. Um, so you're currently working there as a product design manager. I was wondering, what's your day to day like working there? Yeah, so I guess um, just to set some context for like the team that I work on at Open Table. So Open Table, for those who have used Open Table, you've likely experienced, you know, our diner facing products. So that would be like the Open Table app that you can discover restaurants on and book a reservation. Um, but Open Table also has an entire suite of products that our restaurant customers use. 
So to name a few, just to like give you an example of what that is, like uh, restaurants can manage their table availability. They can market their restaurants to diners. They can greet and seat guests when they arrive, um, manage reviews. Um, and so that's this, I work on the restaurant side of the business versus the diner. But when it comes to like my role as a design manager at Open Table, every day is really different. <laughs> I would say I split my time between supporting our design organization and the product vertical that I support, which is the hospitality vertical. So my responsibilities typically fall within three categories, I guess. One would be people, the other is process, and the other is product. So supporting a design org, the design org could mean having one-on-ones, supporting the team with any challenges they're facing, having career growth conversations, working on new processes that will help our team function more efficiently, or hiring right. and onboarding new folks to the mm. team. And then, and then like supporting the product side of things, that means, you know, constantly speaking with our customers to stay on top of what they're experiencing every day or working with my product dev partners to define strategy and high-level product initiatives, or providing feedback on design work happening in the hospitality area. Sounds like a very, like wearing multiple hats. Oh, yeah. Basically. <laughs> it's like, because I guess for now, I'm still doing very like the hands-on design work. And I might be a little bit sidetracked a little bit, but because what you're doing is more of a managerial role. and I know that before this, you were actually the lead designer. So I was wondering what sparked that transition from going from more of an individual contributor, shorthand IC, to more of a manager at a company. Yeah, I think, I think it was a pretty exciting change for me. I'd been wanting to try people management for a while, um, but I was doing a lot of freelancing before joining OpenTable. Mm. So it wasn't really the right time to try <laughs> as a freelancer. Mm -hmm. The transition, I mean, the learning curve is steep, but over the last year, I've had the opportunity to learn this like completely new skill set and to support and grow a team mm -hmm. of amazing designers. And I think like mm -hmm. the transition from IC to management, I think like one of my favorite things about my new role is bringing some of what we do as designers to management. So management can and can be and is a creative role. Um, I'm constantly trying new methods and processes and learning from them and iterating on them. So it's bringing that design process to your management style and and knowing that you're like experimenting and constantly trying to, you know, make the team better. I do want to delve into because I think something that I mentioned I wanted to delve into more, which was the learning curve. You mentioned that was steep. I was wondering, what are some of the, what made the learning curve steep specifically? Like, what are some of the, I guess, the skills that you had to learn? It's a good question. I think there, there are like a couple of things that come to mind. Um, one is probably that like the role of manager is pretty ambiguous. <laughs> um, and actually figuring out what your role is and what your responsibilities are and what you should be focusing your time on is mm. 
pretty challenging at the beginning. <laughs> it's like, where am I going to be most valuable to my team? Because there's always going to be so much you could do. You could bite off processes for like literally anything and everything. Or you could, I guess, it, it's really hard to like sort out, sort out your role and your responsibilities. At least it was for me. I guess I can't speak for everyone, but that was challenging mm-hmm. for me. I think another thing that was really hard for me that took, I think, a good six months was to even just change my frame of mind of like how I value myself. As like an individual contributor, I always valued myself by my output, my design output. And your output as a design manager is so different. And you don't necessarily have these like clear assets that you can point to that that you contributed to. So figuring out how to even know if you're doing a good job, valuing yourself. I think I went through I went through a phase where I really needed to like reframe the way I thought about myself. Mm-hmm. And how did you, I guess, come to the point that you're now, which is you seems like you have a good understanding of what the role entails and also you understand the mindset of being more of a manager. Yeah, I think practice and takes time. I know I have a lot more learning to do. I've only been in this role for about a year. There's so much more to mm. learn. Um, right. I think being kind to yourself and actually taking time to reflect and think about these things, I mean, versus just trying to push through it. And then, I mean, like this is a... I wasn't planning on like plugging this this organization, but I I joined on deck. I don't know if you've heard of it. Mm, um, yeah, I've heard of it. Yeah, and they had a they had a track that was specifically for designers who were moving into management and having a group of peers um, who were going through the exact same thing that you could actually reflect on these things with. I found wildly helpful, and actually hearing from you know, going through coursework and hearing from from peers, I think outside of even my organization was mm. really beneficial for me. Yeah, working, at least knowing that people are in the similar situation as you are and then like sharing your experiences and some of the, I guess, the, the goods and bads of the transition. Yeah, I actually just, because I found it so helpful, I actually just led a session um internally like at OpenTable for new managers um, so that we could have that time to reflect together and to let these new managers know that they're not alone and that like imposter syndrome and changing the way you value yourself and (laughs) figuring out what your roles and responsibilities are are things that they're not dealing with alone. You know, we we're all going through it together. Mm -hmm. No, I love that. Yeah, and congrats on on the leading the session. I feel like for a new manager, manager, I feel like that's such a huge mental boost, or I guess gives them a sense of like, like oh, there people actually understand what I'm going through right now. Yeah, I love that. I think that also touches upon maybe how design and also like the culture is at Open Table. I was wondering, I guess, how would you describe that design culture and also how people work together at OpenTable. Yeah. First, I just want to say that I adore the design team at OpenTable. They're some of the most humble, kind, fun, and talented people I've ever worked with. If I had to describe the culture, I think something that like comes to mind is that 
the whole team is really like a human's first um, mentality, whether it's designing for users or interacting with colleagues, our team members always remember that we're all human. I think to design and interact with empathy and respect is something that we all strive to do. Um, we've like built a really, we've worked hard to build a safe culture to give and receive feedback. And we also have these things called user manuals so that folks can learn about each of us personally and individually so that people know that we are each unique and that we each have the things that we need from each other and the things that make us tick. And we also have dedicated time, you know, just to hang out without work talk, um, which I think is like really important. And then the other, the other thing about our culture that I love, which I feel like maybe seems like a cop out because everyone would say this, but we're, but we're like super collaborative. Um, we spend a lot of time collaborating with other designers on our team and with our PM partners um, and engineering partners. So, I mean, we already talked a little bit about like what that collaboration looks like, but I mean, the team also actually has like a design team collaboration week coming up that's um, where everyone is really excited about it. They're getting together for the first time in like over two years and really focusing on that time to like collaborate with each other, solve some meaning, so solve some media, media issues that we've been, you know, challenged with over the last couple of years, jamming on new ideas and spending quality time together. Maybe you also touched upon this earlier before, but I was wondering, what are some of the projects that you worked on at OpenTable? I know you're more on the hospitality vertical that you mentioned. What are some of the yeah projects yeah. that you can share? I wasn't always on the hospitality vertical, um, but I've worked on a lot of different projects throughout my you know two and a half years or so at OpenTable, but a couple of projects I can highlight are a restaurant profile setup redesign, basically. So I was able to work on a full redesign of how restaurants create and manage their profiles on OpenTable. It's been really exciting to see the design scale actually over the last couple of years. So I kind of built the foundation and the I designed the foundation and the framework for it. But over the last couple of years, it's scaled and we've been able to include, you know, things, new things like safety precautions or support for multiple languages, adding a diversity spotlight for restaurants to be able to highlight themselves on our platform. So that's been a really, that was a really rewarding one. And then another one was direct messaging, which really helps improve restaurant and guest communications um, with direct messaging. So guests can reach out to confirm things like seating preferences and restaurants can respond and reach out to guests if there are any changes to their reservation, like moving a table from, you know, like outdoor to indoor if there's rain in the forecast. Um, so that definitely ties up to our hospitality and <laughs> improving hospitality right. for sure. Yeah. I'm, I'm personally a, uh... I won't say a heavy user of OpenTable, but I've definitely used OpenTable to reserve like restaurants before. Definitely can feel some of those like details that you, that you mentioned. <laughs> Shifting gears, this might be a hard shift, but I'm also super curious about this one. I think just a little bit of context. I think personally, last semester I was taking this class and then my professor told me that like before I even started the project, he told me that he wanted me to make mistakes. Like that was the goal of the project. 
And he said, because a lot of times when something good happens, you often don't know why it went well. But when you make a mistake, you know exactly why and how to fix the mistake. So I was wondering, in your case, over your career so far, what has been your biggest design failure? And what did you learn from that? I have a smart professor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very grateful. Um, I'm not sure that this is like my biggest design failure, but it is a failure that comes to mind. <laughs> um, and it's when I was designing, you know, a brand new, highly visible, impactful feature for restaurants. And as a team, we were moving really quickly on the project. We did a ton of research. We focused on determining the appropriate MVP that would solve our customers' pain points. And we were so amped up because we were able to design, build, and release it so quickly. Um, and after release, adoption was like way lower than we expected. And, you know, after reflecting, I didn't spend nearly enough time thinking about how our customers would like learn about and onboard to this new feature, which is such an important piece of the user experience, you know? And I, I learned a lot from this failure. <laughs> I learned that adoption is something I think about now when I, when I or someone on our team designs anything. I'm probably super annoying about it. I'm like, have you thought about adoption? <laughs> um, it's still like super raw and in, in the back of my mind all the time. Um, how are people, how are users going to know about this new feature? How are we going to make sure they understand the value? How are we going to make sure that they're able to easily onboard to it? I also dug in and learned how to build dashboards in our analytics platforms so that I could keep an eye on our adoption rates as we released enhancements. So I still keep an eye on these today, but that was something that like I didn't necessarily see myself doing was like getting into our analytics platforms and building dashboards myself. But I feel so empowered now that like every time we release an enhancement, I can add, you know, I can add something to the dashboard to like make sure I understand what adoption looks like for that specific feature. And I also learned that I need to build stronger relationships with my product marketing manager partners. <laughs> so my PMM partners, they are pros at go-to-market strategies. And I think if we involved them earlier in the process, I bet we wouldn't have made the same mistakes. So there were a lot of learnings that came out of this big failure. So your professor is totally right. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love that. And I think just for context, um, do you mind, I guess, giving a quick like explanation of what adoption means when it comes to a product feature or a product? Yeah, it's really just like how much of your user base is actually using the new feature that you release. So what does mm -hmm. that engagement look like? Are people adopting this new feature? Are they finding value in it and are they using it? Because if you put it if you put a new feature out in the world that is the most valuable thing in the world for anyone to to get their hands mm -hmm. on and start using, but they don't know anything about it and they don't know that it exists, they're not gonna they're not gonna adopt it. They're not gonna use it. So it's really keeping an eye on the usage of a new feature that you mm -hmm. that you release. Mm -hmm. I hope I explained that well. And I'm also I'm no I'm no yeah, yeah. data analytics expert. <laughs> <laughs> but at least, at least you're getting your hands dirty <laughs> and building dashboards. <laughs> yeah. I'm also curious then what happened 
after this project? Yeah, I mean, like we went back to the we went back to the drawing board and worked on pro- worked on enhancements that would specifically focus on adoption, and it's working. I mean, I wouldn't say it's perfect, but it's working. Um, And we continue to iterate on those tactics. And I have gotten closer with our PMM partner, and I work with them on making sure that we're trying all the new tactics that we can. Love that. And I feel like if you didn't, I guess, have that feeler per se, you wouldn't come to like this point here now in terms of like relationship with the marketing manager and also learning about adoption and how important yes for sure yeah i think coming a little bit short on time i do have a final question this is a question that i like to ask every guest at the very end so i would like to imagine a scenario where you're now currently facing yourself but who you're seeing is yourself but 20 years old so about college age what career slash life advice will you tell her Yeah, I think it'd be pretty simple, probably. Um, And it would be, I think I would remind her to be authentically her. Be authentically Amy. I still have to remind myself of this now. You know, at work, I've definitely tried to fit in before or act a certain way because that's the way I thought I was supposed to act. But everyone should be able to be themselves outside of work and at work. So Now more than ever, I think it's really important to me to lead by example and be authentically myself so that my team feels like they can do the same. So I think it's probably advice I'd give to my 20-year-old self and to myself now. I won't reveal my age. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's like a constant reminder. (laughs) Following up on that, I guess in your early career, did you ever have, I guess, a stage where you weren't able to bring your authentic self to work or trying to like balance that? Yeah, I think like, I definitely think that I had a lot of moments in my career where I felt like I was supposed to act a certain way at work, whether whether it wasn't showing any vulnerability at all or feeling like I always had an answer or feeling like even I needed to be one of the guys like a long time ago, you know, um, at work. And I just, I think it's so important to be yourself and to feel comfortable in your own skin. And I'm not there yet. I think a lot of people aren't there yet, but getting there, trying to get there. Yeah. Working like slowly, but, but surely getting there. Yeah. I think with that, um, that wraps up the conversation that we have today. Thank you so much, Amy, for coming on. I think especially the last portion where you talked about being your authentic self and maybe being even vulnerable is kind of like a gateway for people to connect with you. Um, and also you mentioned being a manager, leading by example, to ensure that other people can do the same as well. I think that's super, super powerful. So I Really thank you for the conversation today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. It's been it's been a pleasure and really enjoyed chatting with you. Hey there, thank you so much for listening to this episode. I really appreciate your time. And again, before we say goodbye, my name is Guo and you've just listened to the Not Just Pixel Show. And I'll see you in the next episode.